The Word of the Lord from Luke chapter 3, verses 15 to 22. As the people were in expectation, and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Christ, John answered them all, saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So with many other exhortations, he preached good news to the people. But Herod the Tetrarch, who had been reproved by him for Herodias, his brother's wife, and for all the evil things that Herod had done, added this to them all. And he locked up John in prison. Now, when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus the Christ. Amen. The text for our gospel proclamation comes from the Holy Gospel of St. Luke that I just finished reading for you and serves as the basis of our theme for the baptism of our Lord, needing a Savior in him. Have you ever run into a person that you found strange, a little off kilter, or just plain odd? How did you ever have that feeling? with that same person, that they were not to be avoided. In fact, even more than that, maybe you should get to know them better. I think many of us have had that experience in life, whether it was at work or school or the military or with friends. And some have encountered that odd bird that no one really socialized with, but you discovered at some point that they were actually worth getting to know. Maybe they had a nice personality and turned out to be funny. Maybe they had wisdom and knowledge yet untapped. Maybe they had experience that was useful to you as the newest employee on staff. Yes, they were a little off, but you were drawn to them nonetheless and didn't regret it when you got to know them better. Initially, though, you had to weigh the consequences and risks of getting to know them better. Would you be socially ostracized for sitting down with them at lunch? Would you get a reputation for being a little odd yourself? Would you risk all that for the sake of the advantages of being in relationship with said person? I hope you would. Because believe it or not, I was that person when I was younger in school. I moved a lot when I was in elementary and junior high school, four different elementary schools and two different junior highs to be exact. And I was a bit quirky to the kids around me wherever I landed as the new kid. I was either that new kid from New Jersey and Minnesota, then I was that weird Midwesterner in Lexington, Massachusetts, then I was the Minnesotan again in Omaha, And then the social pariah of all social pariahs, I was the Nebraskan in Colorado, and a proud Nebraskan at that, 
So you can just imagine the grief I got from students and teachers alike. Needless to say, I spent a lot of time at the socially ostracized lunch table just waiting for the metalhead thugs to harass me every day because I was such an isolated and easy target. Thanks be to God. In every one of those situations, there was a small crowd of similarly isolated kids, and I would either find my way to them or they would invite me into their safety of numbers. I don't know how many times they thought it through, but as I made my way into high school, college, and the military, I never forgot about that. And when I saw someone similarly isolated, I found a way to engage them, never forgetting how vulnerable I was when I was alone and how it was so easily alleviated when just a few people would invite me in. The people of God were really flummoxed by the oddball in their midst. John the Baptist with his camel hair coat, vagabond lifestyle, and diet of wild honey and locust likely gave most everyone pause when considering interacting with him. If anyone spent a significant amount of time alone at the church lunch table of their days, he would definitely be it. But also had that quality that some definitely were willing to risk engaging him to find out more from him. The text tells us as much in our gospel today. All were questioning in their hearts concerning John whether he might even be the Christ. They couldn't deny how weird he was. After all, very few people dressed and ate like he did. But they couldn't help but be drawn to him at the same time. So much so, they considered the possibility that he might even be the longed hope for Messiah told of by the prophets of old. But John knew that he might be invited to the table with the cool kids for all the wrong reasons. So he addressed their misunderstandings, drawing one of the greatest contrasts in the Bible for them to see. He was definitely not who they hoped he might be. John was baptizing for repentance to draw the people closer to God, to change the way they think and act, believing in the only God that saves us from our sins, the world, and even the devil himself. John's baptism removed the guilt of sin, and Jesus' baptism, which he instituted himself, delivers the same blessing. But John wants them to know that he baptizes with water, while Jesus comes with fire. Fire is a powerful element in our world today. One need look no further than the fires in Boulder County, Colorado, that destroyed at least 500 homes, causing 350,000 residents to evacuate in an area you would never dream could be compromised by fire. Just a regular suburban neighborhood by any account. And yet, a several-year-long drought in Colorado caused the brittle conditions that made them vulnerable to such destruction. So we know too well the destructive power of fire. I'm sure many of you have seen the land laid bare here in the Ocala National Forest, where fires created seemingly permanent prairies instead of the pine rows that we love. 
I'm sure many of you watched the ashes dropping in your yard like we did in Middleburg when we wondered if the fire department could save our homes so close to the woods. So you all know too well how easy it is to lose the life we once knew due to fire. But that destructive fire in scriptures lies in wait for the unrepentant sinner. For the sinner, crushed by the weight of their sin, who knows they deserve death and eternal damnation, there is a different kind of fire that Jesus brings to those who believe in him. This fire was promised in Isaiah 43. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burnt. When Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, as their Babylonian captors called them, were cast into the fiery furnace for believing in the one true God against Nebuchadnezzar's idol, they were not burned. Fire that is so destructive can also be cleansing. Like when Isaiah's lips were unclean before the Lord and the seraphim flew to him and touched his lips with the burning coal and made his sinful lips clean. The fire of Jesus' judgment is also the fire of purification, for he purifies us from our own sin by burning it away. Like cancer treatment that seeks to kill the bad cells in the body so the good cell may live and thrive, so Jesus seeks to cleanse us of all unrighteousness, so he, the ultimate righteous one, may dwell there without our sin. Then the final fire of judgment comes to purify us from every unrepentant sinner, on that final day. No longer will those who attack the gospel and hinder Christ's church be allowed to live like tares in the field, crowding our lives with their division and spiritual destruction. No longer will the creation groan with the cancer of evildoers bent on destruction and temptation. For Jesus comes with the winnowing fork in his hand to clear the chaff of sin and unrepentant sinners and the chief sinner of all, Satan. And he gathers the wheat of the elect, those elected by his death and resurrection, not because sinners chose him, but because he chose them to prosper them and make them what they could not be without his blood shed on the cross for their sins. In Christ's baptism today, his eternal father, and for those who believe Jesus died for our sins, know he is our eternal father as well. He makes it clear that Jesus is the God-man for the task of taking us and saving us for the sake of the eternal Father's glory forever. Therefore, we seek the lost. This is why we are the haven for the socially isolated. This is why we bring them into the refuge and security of the gathering of the many. Because the sandal strap, even the greatest among men was unworthy to untie, is the very sandal of our Lord that all our enemies are under. We have this message to encourage the lost and suffering under the burden of their sin. And we can gather them together and continue gathering them until he comes to take us home. For we know in Christ, we are never alone. We are never isolated. And millions are always by our side, even when we cannot see them. The whole company of heaven and the whole Christian church on earth is with us to work together and keep finding those who need a family forever. 
For we did not seek Christ, nor did we believe in him. So he came to this earth to find us, to gather us together with those he loves, to give us the faith we need right where we are and always have been. Because he knew from the beginning of the age, all along, we needed a Savior in him. Amen.